Welcome to the Fuzzy Quality Podcast, Podcast. examining AI quality and testing topics and hosted by me, Adam Leon Smith. Hi, this is Adam Leon Smith, recording for the Fuzzy Quality Podcast. So I came across a, a preprint last year called Smoke Testing for Machine Learning, Simple Tests to d- Discover Severe Defects. So this was really interesting because I've never seen anything uh, as useful as this in terms of how to do some basic testing with machine learning. So I invited the authors on the show today. So I've got Stefan Herbold and Tobias Haar, who are both computer science researchers at uh, Karlsruhe Institute of Technology and the University of Göttingen, uh, respectively. So Stefan, Tobias, hi. Hi, Adam. Hi, Adam. Thank you very much for coming on today. So I'm going to put your paper in the show notes so that people can can read it afterwards. But I really just wanted to get into some of the meat of it today on the show. So can you summarize the question that you tried to answer with your research? Um, So when we started working on this, we were wondering, is there some simple stuff that people just should do with every machine learning implementation? So are, are there some low-hanging fruit tests that should be executed that are still effective to find some defects? And um, that's when we thought about the notion of smoke testing and what would be such simple tests. So let's just test at the boundaries. Let's try something like equivalence classes uh, for machine learning testing. And so we wanted to just find out which really basic tests that we can really run against any algorithm everywhere is still suitable um, to actually find defects and not just a waste of time from a developer's perspective. Great, that, and that's very much a need in industry. I did, I, there was one thing I wasn't clear on though, your research focused a lot on testing frameworks, so libraries for implementing machine learning. To what degree can the findings be used by someone who wants to test a specific machine learning algorithm or model that's already been optimized with hyperparameters? Yeah, so the thing about uh, smoke tests is that you basically test based on the underlying data. So the uh, hyperparameters are not really uh, making that much of a difference. Um, So you basically run the smoke test and if your uh, algorithm is already uh, hyperparameter optimized, you can uh, definitely find uh, defects still. And that's what they are basically made for our smoke tests. So we wanted to make them uh, generalizable so that you don't really need to adjust the hyperparameters and basically can find uh, defects or errors or bugs uh, by just running them. Fantastic, that's exactly what we need. So, so what was the conclusion of your research? Well, we found that uh, this worked surprisingly well. So we set out and said, okay, let's take some hard benchmarks. So we took some really mature machine learning libraries like scikit-learn, like uh, Weka, which have been around, uh, well, Weka for almost 20 years, scikit-learn is really popular for 10 years already. And then also something more modern like Apache Spark, machine, the machine learning group in there, which is um, quite popular as a new big data framework. And we're wondering, can we even find mistakes in such mature software that lots and lots of people are already using? And um, to a surprise, we were able to find with such simple tests that we used quite severe bugs in some cases in this kind of software. And to us, this means if 
we use some, let's say, less popular or smaller software, there's a really, really strong likelihood that, there, that our tests will be effective there as well. So um, we're really happy with our results. Uh, you should be. So what are the basic smoke tests that you recommend, or, or just some of them, maybe? Um, yeah, so we have uh, basically a collection of um, all different kinds of smoke tests. Um, I think the most effective were the ones that were close to machine precision. So either maximum float, uh, float or double values and minimum float or double. So um, these are definitely um, uh, recommended by us. Um, although all the others, of course, since we all, uh, also implemented them are also good. Um, yeah, like uh, uh, basically there's a, a smoke test which um, has values that are only based in one class. So you have um, all the values, uh, all the instances are basically in one class and the other uh, class is empty. And uh, these are uh, particularly helpful to find uh, bugs in software um, when you were uh, in un unmature software, so to say. Mm -hmm. I can see why you're surprised. I mean, I'm surprised because I always assumed that, for example, boundary value analysis wouldn't apply to machine learning. As it's, it's designed to find specific types of explicit logic error, like a, an off by one error in a loop. Um, so it's really interesting. And, and can, you, can you elaborate on, 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 on why you think these issues, uh, these tests even detect issues? Well, our intuition is that um, when we want to test machine learning algorithms, we can probably still use the same concept that we know from software testing literature since the 70s. Um, but we probably shouldn't think about them in terms of let's look at the control flow of the algorithm or let's look at the concrete interface that maybe takes this parameter, but rather uh, look at the data. So then um, instead of applying these principles to, uh, let's say, the application programming interface of an algorithm, we instead apply it to the data. So when we do boundary value analysis or equivalence class analysis, we think about it in terms of what can features do. And features can go to zero, exactly zero, close to zero. They can do, go to maximal values. But uh, in terms of equivalence classes, we also consider um, yeah, the stochastic behavior of data in algorithms. So what are stochastically hard cases that um, can lead to anomalies like we have a huge split in the data with some very small values and some very large values. We have some very strong outliers, something like that. So these are basically still the same principles, but not applied to the interface, but rather to the data itself. And that mixed in with a bit of stochastic intuition. And our feeling is that this, well, let's say decades worth of te software testing knowledge, a lot of stuff can be transferred to machine learning when we just break with the idea we do it as is, but rather try to fit it into the context and that mostly means fit it to the data. That makes a lot of sense. I did, I did notice in your paper, you were somewhat negative about metamorphic testing and its ability to be generalized. And metamorphic testing is something that people talk about a lot in terms of machine learning. Can you expand a bit on, on why you were a bit negative about it? 
so the problem with um, metamorphic testing is um, in order to make it uh, generalizable, um, you actually have to uh, basically uh, change the hyperparameters according to the data you have so that the metamorphic relation is basically testable in that sense. And you have to, um, in order to get the right results or comparable results, um, since you are testing um, before and after morphing the data, uh, you have to find out the, the right parameters, the hyperparameters for um, the specific data set. So that's a bit more effort than uh, smoke testing. Um, but of course it can reveal other problems that smoke testing obviously can't um, because it's focusing more on the um, relation between the, the data. So um, basically, so I'm, I'm working on it in my master thesis at the moment. And we actually um, are doing more metamorphic testing. Um, with um, affine transformations. So we basically um, morph the data by applying affine transformations like rotation and um, um, translation and stuff like that to the data and then test if the, the outcome is the same um, or should be the same. For example, for uh, distance-based classifiers, uh, clusters like um, k-means, if uh, we rotate the data, let's say by 90 degrees, um, the distance between the data points is still the same. So technically the clusters should also be the same if mm -hmm. we in initialize the, the uh, cluster with the same initial data points. And that, that way we can test it. So um, yeah, we're not really negative in that sense about the metamorphic testing, but it's, not as easily generalizable. Mm -hmm. I see. And I think it's, um, there are different levels of metamorphic testing. There's, there's a very intuitive type of metamorphic testing and there's a very technical type of metamorphic mm -hmm. testing. Both are aiming to establish relationships and, and validate those relationships, but they're, they're very different in terms of ease of applicability. But going back to um, types of traditional techniques that can be reused for machine learning, combinatorial testing is another one. So combinatorial testing is something I use a lot to uh, optimize test coverage by selecting the ideal set of, of inputs. And it's all based on research from, I think the 1980s that uh, in particular found that um, varying two parameters in combination would find the maximum amount of, of bugs at the most efficiency. So I, I have been looking at applying this to machine learning various different ways. So one of those ways was looking at um, it on top of neurons and looking at how you're activating different neurons in combination. And one of those was looking at the data features um, or even looking at a higher level, looking at um, high level features that the environment might, might sense in the context of, of say a self-driving car. So really excited that you've also found this applicable to machine learning and also looked at it in terms of mutation scoring. So can you tell me a bit more about your work here and, and to what degree did you think that combinatorial testing might be applied to features as well as hyperparameters? Because again, you talked about hyperparameters a lot in, in your work on this. Yeah, so the important part about combinatorics when we consider machine learning, especially when we 
look at it at the library level and not specific applications with already tuned hyperparameters is that um, when you take a framework like scikit-learn, depending on which options you choose, you might execute completely different source code. Um, so it's not that you have some different values in loops or something like that, or maybe a slight deviation in pass, but often this can directly switch out optimization algorithms or well then trigger boundaries within these algorithms. Because of that, um, we thought that we must account for different hyperparameter combinations because otherwise we are probably only testing the happy pass anyway. So um, when you want to find bugs, it's always a good idea to look where others haven't looked before. Um, so we're wondering how can we implement the, hyper, uh, the hyperparameter testing here with different values and well, combinatorics was just the obvious answer. Then we had the problem that there were really a huge amount of combinations. So there are some algorithms where you have nearly 20 different hyperparameters that you can play around with. And well, with combinatorics, you often have exponential growth, same here. So we needed to bounce this really, and we bounded this really strongly that we just had linear growth then, and it still worked. So we still found um, that there were cases where we could find really severe bugs that crashed algorithm when we selected a single option. So there was one case that led to a stack overflow where a single flag had to be set. And if it wasn't set, it just didn't happen. So especially for the hyperparameters, to our mind, it's a must. And it's a basic code coverage argu argument here. But it's really hard to balance this. And, um, and we just said, we just vary one parameter and all others stay the same. And that was sufficient to bound it. Um, when it comes to features, well, we also considered doing really combinatorics there, but I, we quickly found that this, yeah, the exponential growth, we couldn't really bound it. Instead, we rather then went ahead and used the more equivalence class boundary value and the skiered approach where we set out to um, really say, we define our features now in this way. And within here, within these certain bounds, we sample randomly to have some variation in there. Um, we could go ahead uh, and, for example, combinatorically combine the smoke tests because they're mostly just different ways features are generated. And then you could just append them to each other. But this would really, uh, to our mind, um, explode the complexity of the work and then it probably wouldn't scale anymore in terms of runtime because yeah, you just would get quite high dimensional problems with lots of uh, uh, training data in there and um, yeah, it might just explode. So for features, it's a really hard problem. Uh, something like fuzzing might be more applicable than pure combinatorics. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I think it's great that, as well that you got a good mutation score. And for those people that don't, aren't familiar with mutation testing that might be listening, mutation testing is deliberately injecting faults into systems and then running tests against them to determine the quality of the tests themselves. So you can do traditional code by um, injecting a, a fault based on a rule and then running all your automated tests. And it tells you whether your automated tests are really checking enough. I think I haven't seen any research on different testing types and techniques measured by mutation scores. It sounds like that might be a good research question for someone. 
Well, as far as I know, um, there are some um, competitions, for example, for search-based software testing, where um, often mutation scores, but also um, real-world faults are by now being used to benchmark different approaches for yeah, intelligent test generation. But in general, I think um, that might be something that the software testing community should really look into. Yeah, agreed. So you found some really good bugs. Um, you gave one example before. Can you give any more? Uh, yes. Uh, so we had some. Um, so actually, our uh, we call the the smoke test max double because it's um, it it, it uh, um, consists of, of values with uh, a lot of um, uh, max double values, basically. So uh, values close to. Uh, 64 bit uh, machine precision. Um, so we had uh, uh, one, one specific bug in the decision tree implementation of the uh, Weka library. And that was caused by a bad numerical comparison due to overflows. Um, and it uh, caused the, the algorithm to um, go into an infinite recursion, so to say, uh, during training. And uh, yeah, which obviously should not happen. And um, that was one. Uh, and actually, it, uh, it also affected all the other tree-based uh, classifiers, so also random forests and other implementations of the decision trees. And then we had another one in the scikit-learn library uh, also a max double test uh, where we uh, tested the agglometer uh, clustering algorithm. And there, due to a, a bad graph exploration strategy, um, highly, um, highly connected nodes were um, revisited very often. And that caused the memory to uh, or that caused the memory to basically overload. And it uh, for we had a test uh, with 100 instances and my 16 gigabyte uh, RAM machine uh, had no space left. So it completely flooded the RAM, which uh, can also be uh, problematic for other applications running on the same system. So uh, that's definitely a good one. And then we had another bug in the, the Gaussian mixture um, implementation, um, also of scikit-learn, where we found that um, actually it was not a problem itself with the, with the Gaussian mixture, but it was more a problem uh, of how they checked how much the k-means clustering in the end uh, clustered the, um, the data. So we had, um, they, they basically, when you selected automatic um, number of uh, classes, they checked whether, th they started with a high number and they checked whether that's uh, sufficient or too much. And then they uh, reduced them. And at some point the k-means would crash if there are numerical overflows um, and yeah that caused the basic uh, algorithm to not work because of the k-means clustering step. So some of those bugs, 
they sound like if I had bad intent and I knew what kind of algorithms certain organizations were using, I could poison potentially an input data set publicly or gain access in a way that I could, I could crash live systems using some of those. They sound like security vulnerabilities. Yes, definitely. So um, basically, if, if a machine runs uh, or if you have a server that, that runs these uh, on a cluster or something and the, the server cannot... Um, so basically, my machine already uh, had difficulties and with server nodes, you not always have uh, so much RAM and especially the data is much, much bigger um, for big data platforms, for example. Uh, if you have um, these crashes where, for example, the RAM is flooded, uh, that can cause the whole system to basically crash. This also shows how important input validation is when you use machine learning. So obviously the algorithms themselves shouldn't have these problems, but yeah, when you build applications with machine learning, you should always be aware of the input validation you have to run beforehand to possibly hide bugs like that if, uh, in data regions where you don't expect them. Wow, so have any of these been fixed, do you know? Um, yes, one was actually merged today in scikit-learn. <laughs> one, one of the bugs <laughs> that um, uh, Tobias didn't mention, I, I mentioned this because I got the email today. I, so I went to my desk and said, oh, nice. The one in the nearest second track classifier is fixed. So that was another fun one where it was just all zeros and they calculated the variance of that. And well, that was an obviously zero and they divided by it. So that's like a classical yeah. uh, programming mistake um, in scikit-learn that we found was a really simple test that just contained all zeros for all data. Fascinating. So you found that in the context of your smoke tests, you found that test design can be automated, um, but the selection of the right hyperparameters for the test can't. Can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, the reason was that um, for the smoke tests, it's really quite simple to say, let's take uniform data, let's take data close to max double and then sample that. So that is something where we can specify um, where we, had, we have about 20 combinations of data that we think are valuable here. Um, and that's then something you, show to, you put into a sampling algorithm and it works everywhere. For the hyperparameters, it's really difficult to just automatically say, these are valid combinations. So for example, you select a certain metric in a, a distance-based algorithm, and then sometimes you have additional parameters you can tune, like you have an LP metric, you can tune P. But if you select a different metric, you must not modify P. So you must specify that manually. Otherwise, your smoke test crashes something, and it's just due to bad hyperparameters. And when we started out and had the naive implementation where we did not manually specify them, we had a lot of test failures in there just due to us specifying bad hyperparameters. It might be possible to explore that somewhat automatically. So there are some very interesting papers on uh, yeah, inferring grammars of um, yeah, uh, application programming interfaces. But yeah, without that, it's really difficult um, in general to specify what are valid combinations and also what are good combinations. So is the value of um, k equals 1,000 reasonable for a k-nearest neighbor algorithm? Probably not. But if you have a random search, how do you hmm. prevent this? So at least ranges are something that you probably should always define manually. 
That makes sense. So fascinating work, guys. Um, where what where are you going next? What's your next research areas? Um, so one aspect that I would be uh, really interesting to explore next, where I'm currently uh, looking for collaborators, is to look how state-based testing can be um, applied to machine learning problems. So basically, can we describe, for example, a learning algorithm as a state machine? And then you just use the classical machines from state-based testing to look for sneak paths or um, to just validate that these algorithms work as expected and possibly even verify portions of them. And so that's something that I think could be really, really valuable. But well, that's the opposite of generalizable because this is something you really need to tailor to specific implementations and specific mm. algorithms. Cool. And, and Tobias? I'm I'm actually not uh, not sure where where it's going. Uh, I'm I'm currently finishing my master's, so um, yeah, I might stay in academia. I might not. Uh, I'm not 100 sure yet. <laughs> Very good. Well, there's there's plenty. It's a such an interesting field. I mean, that's why I'm doing a podcast on it. The the whole intersection between quality testing and um, AI, and particularly machine learning. Um, so listen, guys, thanks for coming on the show. I'll put the paper, the links to paper in the, the show notes so my listeners can, can find out more. But thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for inviting us, Adam. Thanks for having us. Yes.